you are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. I want you to join with me uh, by reading in your Bibles the book of Jonah and chapter 3. You know, oftentimes we preach from the New Testament, but it's incredible where you see grace and the power of God just being able to redeem people in the old, because same God, new and old. I love preaching from the old. So turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. If you're just joining us today and you haven't been to Live City before or you haven't been tuning in lately... Uh, I've been preaching a series on the book of Jonah, just going chapter by chapter, because they're short chapters. And so please do access the content online. Daniel has been busy trying to put those together on, on YouTube, and we've got T. Rangi at the moment. He's been working on a, a podcast or audio. You can access those as well to catch up. But read with me Jonah and chapter 3. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Everyone say second. Sometimes God can't get through the first time. He's going to do a second time. And he said these words, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, there's some really important moments. You've got to get this. Everyone say this time. Some of you are just holding out on me. This time. Let's hear it. That's much better. Thank you. This time, Jonah obeyed. How many people know what it's like when you disobey? <laughs> you know, the first time you didn't do what God asked you to do? Okay, thank you so much. I'm not the only one. I'm holding my hand up here, right? And, and the second time you didn't do it sometimes, the third time, you, you know, but this is this time. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. That's a big city, especially in biblical times. Massive city. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds. Notice he didn't preach to the crowd. He didn't share softly with the crowd. The Bible literally says in your living translation, he shouted to the crowds. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Wow. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. You know that there's a revival going on when even the animals are forced to fast. Did you pick that up? He's saying, not only you guys got to uh, fast, your animals are going to fast, your cats, your dogs, everything is going to be fasting during this time. People and animals alike, it keeps going, must 
wear garments of mourning. So not only were the people wearing sackcloth, their animals are wearing sackcloth, their donkeys, their oxes, their dogs, their cats, everything in that, in that whole city is wearing sackcloth. I mean, it must have been like really pathetic to see. Like what is, what's going on here? Everyone wearing sackcloth. This is the king's edict. Remember that. This is not God speaking. The king is demanding this. And everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. Some of you got to underline that. He changed his mind. Can you change the mind of God? The Bible says it here. He changed his mind because of what they did and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Father, I pray that the message of the gospel reaches the hearts of the listeners, particularly those who are beating themselves over the head, feeling I'm not worthy enough. I'm stuck in a cycle of sin that I can't break out of. I don't want to sin, but I end up sinning. I am not good enough. I failed you time and time again. Lord, can you possibly ever have hope for me? Lord, I thank you for this word, that there is always hope. And I pray, Father God, give us your spirit of wisdom and understanding that the very words we need to hear right now will be ministered to us today. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much, Katie. I want to speak to you this morning about the ingredients of revival. We're talking about a king and all his rulers and authority with him speaking to an entire nation after hearing one message saying, we better fast and pray or else. I mean, what happens if you knew you had days to live? How would it change your life? For some of you, you would be partying even harder. You would do the things that you have been trying to hold back on, and you'd do every evil under the sun because I'm going to die anyway. That's how the world does it. Perhaps for others, you were just moping and you could be crying right there and feeling sorry for yourself. But can I encourage you that as we read this passage, we're seeing that God changed his mind. Do you understand what it's saying here? God changed his mind. See, we're thinking about a God who's so resolute. Let me tell you something. God knows the end from the beginning. He knew he was going to change his mind, but he's waiting for the catalyst, which is you and me, to change the heart of God. But what happens is we don't pray. For some of you that pray, you don't fast. For some of you that fast and pray, you don't cry out to God. You are silently praying. And look, there's a time for silent prayers. I do it all the time. When I'm at home, usually I'm not, you know, I'm not yelling out loud. It's very rare. Sometimes God makes me do that. I'm in my home, wait till no one else is around. Neighbors probably thinking, what? If they're home, what is this guy doing? But I'm there in the middle of the day in my lunchtime. I'm crying out to God. But most of the time I am quiet. But there comes a time when you cannot be quiet anymore. You cannot remain silent. 
There has to be this angst of the soul that is willing to pay the price for revival to happen. Some of you parents, you know your children are making wrong decisions and you're just quietly allowing it to happen. You're weeping, you're moaning, you're pasting it on social media, hoping to satiate that knowing feeling inside of you that nothing is going to change. I know it unless I do something more. And you think that social media will cut it. It doesn't cut it, friends. We're believing God for a change in our city. We want this to happen, yet you're not sharing the gospel message. You want to see our church expand and grow by the grace of Jesus. We are seeing it grow. We're seeing visitors come, giving their lives to Jesus. They're saying, praise God for that, but... When are you going to partner with God and do the things he asked you to do? Oh, my goodness, pastor, I did not come for a hard message. I love you. I'm just the messenger. Receive the word. There's always hope. If Jonah can do it, we can do it. Okay? <laughs> so come with me on this journey. I want to give you three keys, three ingredients for revival. If you're taking messages, I encourage you to do so. Use your smartphone, redeem it for Jesus. Open up your notes or your Microsoft Word on your smart device, your OneNote, whatever it is. I want you to take these notes. Here's key number one. What's ingredient number one? The God of second chances. See, we come against a people who believe that this is just the judgment God. There's a world out there that is mistaken. Unfortunately, as Christians, we have often preached a message that is contrary to the Word of God. Now, yes, there comes a time. And yes, He is a God of judgment. The Bible is telling us that the sins of a nation, they weren't just a city, they were a nation that had their own king. The sins of a nation had arisen to God. It was so bad. The Bible actually tells us there are cups of wrath that are being filled. Wrath is more than anger. It is violent judgment that will come. God is trying to contain His mercies, His mercies, His mercies, His mercies until the cup is full and then it's too late. God has got to pour it out. And do you get this? That even though the cup is full and God said, I'm going to smote thee, this Old Testament, I shall smote thee. He's sending a prophet to tell them, I'm going to smote thee. Do you, do you understand what's happening here? He's actually warning them to give them an opportunity to say, I, I don't want to slap you. <laughs> my hand is poised to slap you, but just tell me something to make me change my mind. He's sending a prophet. He's not one of their own people. He sends an enemy prophet because the Ninevites were enemies. Assyria was enemies with Israel. Sends an enemy prophet to come into their midst to deliver a word so that they would repent and God wouldn't have to do what he has to do. Tell me that isn't the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ when you deserve a punishment, but he doesn't meet it out. This is powerful. How many times have you stuffed up? Jonah stuffed up. He was called by God to, it says it in this New Living Translation, preach against the nation. It doesn't say speak kindly to them, preach the message of the gospel, tell them there's hope, you can repent. You notice that in the message of Jonah, it doesn't say anywhere there to preach to them to repent. It doesn't say that. It just says tell them in 40 days Nineveh will perish. That's a hard word, but you don't understand. They did not even deserve the warning. Oh, that's a message for someone today. 
You don't deserve a warning, and yet God is using me, and God is using your family, God is using your friends to warn you to turn from danger, saying, hey, the train is coming. You're on the railroad tracks. Get off the tracks. No, I want to stay right here. I'm making my home on the tracks. Get off the tracks. God is warning you. Have you ever been used by God, and you stuffed up, and you didn't do it? And you think that God is through with you? I'm not good enough. God can't use me again. I've stuffed up too many times. I can't redeem myself. I don't deserve to be redeemed. I don't deserve to be given a second chance, and yet God does it. Robert Kiyosaki in his workshops, Money and You, often relates a very telling story of an IBM executive who makes a tactical error that costs the company $9 million. You ever stuffed up working for a company and it cost them some money? I can't remember the story. I know I've done it. But not $9 million. Oh, yeah, I remember what it was. Uh, I, was uh, I was working in human resources, and uh, uh, well, the, the, sh the airline shut down, though, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> That's a good thing. But uh, I remember I was listening to the story. Of, I was hearing reports, because we'd have, you'd have folks that would be calling in sick and they say, hey, Bob, I want to take Wednesday off. I noticed that you're an RDO, and uh, I'm working Tuesday, but I want to take the day off, so I'm going to pull a sickie. Okay, so you work for me in double time, and then I'll work for you for double time. What do you reckon? Yeah, let's do this. So we knew they were doing it. And so I highlighted it somewhere along the way. It was passed down the line to Melbourne, where the Transport Workers Union found out, and they threatened a strike. Little old me was about to cause the airline to fall to its knees because I opened my big mouth. I learned to be a bit more diplomatic after that, I will tell you. I learned my lesson very, very quickly as I was hauled into the manager's office. Well, let me tell you about this guy. He cost the company $9 million. The following week, the executive, sure to be fired, is ushered into the chairman's office. As he sat there, the chairman is telling them about the plans for a huge new project that he wants this executive to run. As he's talking about these plans, executive, he's sweating. He's sweating like a pig, and he's saying, and he finally has to say something. He says, sir, uh, I don't understand why you're doing this. I just cost the company $9 million. And the chairman says to him, son, I'm not going to fire you. We just invested $9 million in your education. I want you to take this project. You are now my most valuable asset. That's a picture of God right there, that God will give you those second chances. God doesn't simply discard you because you failed. He's looking to see if there's a true repentance. That means a change of the way that you are thinking that you will learn an invaluable lesson and partner with him in obedience. You know, the greatest days of our lives, the greatest mission of our lives happens when you are obeying God. You hear a word from the Lord, you get that prompting of, your, of his spirit, and you do it. That's when you do the great things that will amount to something in the kingdom. You know, how about this? Does anyone know who led Billy Graham to the Lord? No one. No one. It was actually a farmer. Yeah, correct. Do you know the farmer's name? Don't even know his name. He's some farmer 
who had Billy, a young Billy Graham teenager and this other guy who was working for him. They weren't Christians at all. And he knew that they wanted to drive his truck. So he said to them, hey, I'll tell you what. I'll let you drive my truck, but you're going to take me to a meeting, and you're going to go to the meeting with me. That's the deal. I'll let you drive, but you have to go to the meeting with me. They reluctantly said yes, because they, but they wanted to drive the truck. So he brings them in there. And during that time, gloriously, both these men got saved. Both of them became evangelists. But Billy Graham, the most well-known, saved millions of lives. And you don't even know the farmer's name. So sometimes we're, we're thinking to ourselves, I don't amount to anything. I haven't done anything for the kingdom. My life doesn't matter. My ministry, no one cares about this. God doesn't care about this. Yes, he does. Heaven knows you. Hell fears you. And yet people may not know that, and I'm okay with that. Are you okay with that? You're not here today simply because of a God of second chances. You're actually here today because of a God of fourth, fifth, twentieth, one hundredth chances. How many people know what I'm talking about? Oh, my goodness. If you are gray in the hair, if you're aging, you know what I'm talking about. You have stuffed up so many times like I have. But while you live and breathe, I want to tell you, you serve a God of hope. You serve a God of triple, quadruple, 100 chances, and he will not give up on you. He will never give up on you. Jonah changed. I think you would too. If God had to send a tsunami your way to tip over a boat, if the, if the sailors eventually threw you out into the, into the water and you don't know how to swim, you're drowning, you think you're going to die, and then, you know, from, from bad to worse, out of the frying pan into the fire, a fish swallows you. I mean, how the indignity of it all. To die in the belly of a fish. But some people never change. God will send calamity your way like he did to Jonah, and they still won't change. God will send the calamity, then he'll send you a rescue to let you know my fingerprint is on this. I rescued you, and they still won't change. What will it take for God to change your mind? That means repent. What will it take? Will God need to send you even into deeper calamity to cause you to change, to get your attention? But did you notice that the second chance came after Jonah showed remorse and repented of his rebellious behavior? God doesn't just throw out second chances for free. He wants to see that there's a genuine change in your heart. You're saying, God, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. God, if you rescue me now, I'll always go to church for the rest of my life. God, if you save me, I will give to the missions fund. We try and leverage these things with God. He's just looking for repentance. I'm sorry. I own this. I stuffed up. How many times do we do this? You lay the blame. It wasn't my fault. I was tempted. We do this with our kids, don't we? It wasn't my fault. You know, he made me do it. She made me do it. Jonah was then rescued from the notion, sent to the shore, and now God gives him a second chance to make his way to Nineveh. Some commentaries believe he was spat out at Nineveh, but it doesn't say that. It just says he was spat out on land, and God says, now go. To test what's in his heart. So you promised me in the belly of the world that you would actually obey me, that you'd actually do what I ask you to do. Let's see if it's in your heart. He spits him out in another country. Now he's got to make his way back to Nineveh. The question I want to ask you today is, what will you do 
with your second chance? Will you squander it? Will you turn your back on the, the very promises that you made? Or will this be the catalyst that will radically change your life? Judgment dictated that Nineveh should be destroyed. It should have been destroyed. Nahum, a contemporary of Jonah, also a prophet, wrote this in chapter 3, verse 1. Woe to the city of blood. Nineveh was known as a city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. And still, God sends a prophet to warn them. Forty days in advance, he warns them. What does it say? It's telling you that God is giving you a chance to repent. God is giving our city a chance to repent. God's mercy is greater than your sin. Man, you guys are quiet today. I want you to help me preach this message. God knew, get this, get this point here, I want you to get this. God knew that Jonah would rebel. And yet, in his rebellion, God is actually preparing Jonah for the mission that he knew he was going to turn around and do anyway. Let me explain it to you this way. That word Nineveh was originally uh, pronounced Ninawah. It comes in the cuneiform in the way that they put it together. Ni oh, sorry, Ninyawa, Ninyawa. It's the cuneiform way of, of spelling Ninya is a fish without a house. It has been suggested that the name of the city was derived from a goddess associated with, you guessed it, a fish. Let me keep going. The Ninevites worshipped Dagon from the word Dag, meaning, you guessed it, fish. Located on the banks of the Tigris, they relied on fish as their main source of food. Let me keep going. The Ninevites believed Dagon arose from the sea and founded their nation. The god of fish founded their nation. Keep listening. And that messengers came to them from the sea from time to time. That's from the Christian workers' commentary. Think about this for a moment. There is Jonah. God knew fully that he would disobey him, that he would rebel against him and try and turn and go the opposite direction. God is speaking to a whale. I mean, it would have been months in advance because like I said, according to the commentators, whales are not native to that area. So God has to call a whale to go out of its comfort zone months in advance, swimming and making its way to that area where Jonah was going to be shipwrecked or be thrown overboard, where a storm arises. Everything is prepared for these things. Jonah gets swallowed by a fish, a great fish, and now the juices and the acid of that whale has been eating away at his clothes. His hair is being, there's clumps of hair falling off. And by the time he comes to Nineveh, here comes this bedraggled prophet from the sea, stinking of, you guessed it, fish. Hair is falling off. Everyone has heard the story about this strange man who came from the sea out of a mouth of a fish to deliver a word. And what do you think these Ninevites are thinking? He is a messenger of Dagon. But then when the word says that they began to repent and cry out to God, it's a capital G. Have a look at that in your Bibles. It is not talking about Dagon. They are not praying to Yahweh. Do you understand this? Do you remember when Jonah was on the boat with the fishermen? They said, 
Why don't you pray to your God? We're all praying. Here you are sleeping. Pray to your God. Who is your God? He tells him, my God is Yahweh, the God of the ocean and the sea and the land, God of everything. And then when he, they threw him, and he told him, the way to fix this, throw me overboard and the sea will be calm. The Bible says immediately it was calm. And they began to worship, guess what? Yahweh. We're talking about revivals from a guy who doesn't want to preach the gospel, who doesn't want to see people saved. Because the Bible says when he is preaching to them, he's going on all the streets telling them, repent. Oh, no, he didn't. Sorry, he didn't say that. He says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's all he said. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. He didn't say to them, uh, do you know that if you pray, if you repent, God can forgive you and he will stay his hand from the repentance. He didn't give them a chance. He hated them. <laughs> so he says, I'll, I'll give you a message, God. I'll give you a message. I'm surprised that he even yelled it. I would have thought he says, uh, in 40 days, it's going to, it's going to, and then in 40 days, yeah, 40 days, then it's going to, 40 days, it's going to. I think he would have done, I'm surprised actually, probably because you know God would smote them. It probably is that that's it. Boom. You know, you have this second chance, no third chance. Three strikes, you're out. Boom. So he probably, that's probably why he did it. He's just yelling. In 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. 40 days. That's all you got, folks. 40 days, you stuffed up. 40 days, you're destroyed. He is preaching to the most hostile of crowds possible. I've given you the, the background behind this. They're wearing body parts. as necklaces around the, their bodies. They put heads of people all around the walls of the city. They're stretching skin on the walls to commemorate the victory. They pile up bodies into pillars to say, Nineveh was here. We done did that. They're so proud. They're so proud of their bodies. And so this judgment that has come, the Bible says in verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed Yahweh's message. It's a capital G. That means Yahweh's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on sackcloth, burlap, to show their sorrow. According to the commentators, they say that this is a fabric constructed from goat's hair and was extremely irritating to human skin. This was a way of showing their remorse. They're showing their grief. They're showing their sorrow. How crazy that Jonah couldn't see that the Ninevites were a reflection of Jonah's own life. Do you see this? It's so ironic. Have a look at this. So, Jonah was rebellious. Nineveh was rebellious. Jonah cried out to God. He couldn't eat for th or drink for three days. The Bible says Nineveh cried out in fasting and prayer. God saw Jonah's changed heart and saved him. God saw Nineveh's heart and saved them from destruction. Isn't this crazy? When the king heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne. What king does this? Took off his royal robes, put on that burlap, and he sat on a heap of ashes. Has anyone seen royalty put on sackcloth and sit on ashes before? I think that would be a sight to see. Queen of England, sackcloth, 
sitting on ashes. You can't picture that, can you? Scott Morrison wearing sackcloth, sitting on ashes. It's impossible, but that's the thing. We just accept it. Oh, yeah, of course. No, no, this is unusual. It doesn't happen like that. Because it's making this point. When true revival comes, I mean a real revival, it affects all business, all government, and all leadership. Because when the leaders change, the people change. Why do you think we got a men's camp? Because we want to see if the men can change, a family can change. I don't think the husbands understood or understand how much influence you have on a family. It is powerful and it is profound. Last week, David preached a brilliant message. He was saying this thing. He says, it's not enough just to say a prayer of repentance and to invite God in your heart at the end of a service. He's saying, there has to be change in your life. That's what this book is telling us, the book of Jonah. There has to be an outward change. Because when there is a true repentance, when there is true remorse, you don't swear and use profanity like you used to. That's the world talking. You don't drink till you're drunk like you used to. You don't do drugs like you used to. You don't party and shake your boot hair in a nightclub like you used to. Instead, you dump the friends that are no good for you. You prioritize going to the house of God to worship Him there because you know He's here. I must be among the people of God. I must worship with them. You run from temptation. You can't help telling other people about what God has done. You change how you talk, how you think, and how you act because that's what repentance does. I don't know if I gave you that point. The second point was repentance is accompanied by change. The third ingredient for revival is this. The prayer. The prayer of revival. Listen to what the king says. This is quite interesting. A pagan god who doesn't understand or know who Yahweh is. It says this. He says, who can tell? Perhaps even yet Yahweh will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. How does a pagan king, without even knowing God, suspect that God is a God of mercy? I think people deep down inside know better. I mean, they sprout this garbage. Oh, it's a judgment God. He does this. I think deep down inside people know that God is a God of mercy. It's actually his name. God is a God of mercy, slow to anger, the compassionate one. You know, sometimes I think we think that God is just a bad dude in the sky. We treat him like that. Or after we sin, we, we think we're so feeling so guilty. That's what we think he is. The Bible says God saw what they had done and he changed his mind. That blows my mind. When you know the sins that you have committed, let me say, we come here with a, I'm glad we dress up. It's really good. But deep down inside in our heart, there could be just absolute tripe, just awful stuff there. And God knows your heart, forgives. God doesn't enjoy bringing punishment. He doesn't relish watching people suffer. That is not the true nature of who God is. God is a God of love who forgives those who genuinely turn from their wicked ways. 
He doesn't hold your past against you because true repentance, listen to this, restarts the counter. Somebody needs to write that down. True repentance restarts the counter. The sins and wickedness of a nation who had a cup full of wrath, God poured it out and says, okay, we're going to start again. I saw what you did. I saw what you said. I saw what you wore. I know your hearts. I'm pouring out the cup. The cup is empty. The cup of wrath is empty. Someone turn to your neighbor tell them, the cup of wrath is empty. Turn to the neighbor behind you tell him, God ain't angry. We think he's angry. He's not angry. Why do we go to all this trouble setting this whole thing up? Because he knows in advance he's going to forgive you anyway because he's just waiting for you to ask. Let me tell you, I don't think we think about this enough. When you pray, ask yourself this prayer. Ask yourself this question. What if my prayer could change God's mind? Did you know that every time you pray, you were actually changing God's mind? Stay with me for a moment. Every time you pray, you are changing God's mind because this is the circumstances. This is the way things have played out. God has allowed man and the evilness to do whatever they did. And here you are, miserable, and you are about to change God's mind in prayer to say, God, I'm happy with the situation. Please, I need you to be involved. I need you to shift. I need you to move angels and demons until the, the truth, the, what I'm believing for, until heaven reflects earth and then earth changes and until it's unison. I want you to change your mind, God. That's what you're doing when you're praying. Some of you are really quiet there. Yeah, you're a bit stimmied. You're changing God's mind every time you pray because this is the way it is. You might say, well, I guess that's the will of God. Well, no, I guess it isn't because God's saying, pray. You have not because you ask not. Pray. So when you pray, you are changing God's mind. Come on. Drop the mic. Oh, my goodness. Let me conclude with four keys that will help you with this prayer. Are you ready? Four key things. And this comes from a pagan king, by the way. The pagan king's method for revival. You ready for this? Write it down quickly. Number one, mourning. We're talking about genuineness, genuine brokenness and weeping for sin. They wore the clothes of mourning. That's what the sackcloth was for. Whenever there was a, whenever there was a funeral, they were supposed to wear sackcloth for a set period of time to show that they were really grieving and that they're mourning. And so that's what it's symbolic of, mourning. If you're praying for revival for a city you don't, then, and you don't really care about the people, what are you praying for? You, you can't even begin. None of this matters if you can't start with number one, mourning. Here's the second one, praying. In fact, the king writes it this way, pray earnestly. And it's like, oh, God, I pray for revival. Yes, and revival. Yeah, I love them, but yeah, it's in revival. That's not earnest. What do you think earnest looks like? I think that moment when, you know, I, oh, my goodness, I've had some tough times. <laughs> I've had some tough times. Can I show you? You can't see this on camera, but this is, this is me. <laughs> Oftentimes, I'm oh, dear. Oh, God. I can't do it anymore. I, I just give up. My kids don't know this. My wife doesn't know this. This is what I do. That's what I do. 
I try and find the place where the dog hasn't peed and we wiped it up. But I, I, I do find a place that I think is somewhat clean and I just put my face to the ground. I mean, I'm going to do it that much. But I will put my face on the ground. I'm absolutely broken. The other place, I'm going to tell you my secrets, is in my cupboard. In my cupboard. She does wipe the pee, but I still won't go where the dog peed. But I'll go in my cupboard. We have this great walk-in robe where it's dark. All the lights are off, and my face is on the floor. So I'm whispering for God, saying, God, please, please change. Change the situation. I'm trying to change God's mind. The earnest, the, the earnest and fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. It means when you're praying earnestly to a righteous person, God's going to hear it. Here's the third key in a revival prayer, the turning the turning. We're talking about a true repentance. It means that you turn from your wicked ways. You don't keep doing the same stuff you did. I want to challenge you with this. Are you still living the way you lived before you became a Christian? Because there's a problem here, guys. Something is not aligning. You haven't truly repented. God is not truly king over your life. You're still Lord over your life. And you're wondering why you're struggling with some things. Here's the fourth key. The king says, cease the killing immediately. They were really wicked. But for us, it's stopping. Stop that sin in your life. If the phone is tempting you with porn, put some locks in there. Give your wife the code. My children know my password for my computers and my phone so that I know at any given time they could open up my computer and check it out. I did that on purpose. I've got to hold myself accountable. I don't want to hold anything back from my wife. Stop the sin. Morning, praying, turning. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at lifecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at lifecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.